people are always from the outside looking in and you're and you don't realize that you don't there's no aha moment where you realize you're a leader through what you either do on social media or the messages that you put out uh publicly through the industry um you don't really truly have this moment where you realize okay look i i, I know people are looking at me as a leader so um i'm really focused now on the information i'm putting outwards and because i know everyone's watching it Hello and welcome to the Optimized Store Owners Show, a podcast that helps frustrated store owners become optimized store owners. We are your hosts, Aaron and Christian. We want to invite you to join us each week as we share tips, tactics, and strategies from the most inspiring entrepreneurs in the e-commerce industry. This podcast will help you add flexibility, stability, and happiness into your life. Ready? Let's go. Hey, y'all, hope you are having an awesome day. This episode is for those of you who are trying to take your business to that next level this year or whatever time you're listening to this episode. Uh, we have Ryan on. He is an amazing guest who really just dives deep into how he's taken his business from you know a couple hundred thousand dollars a year to eight figures plus and then really the steps to do it. It's, it's actually very simple, step-by-step, step, what you need to put in place. You're going to learn these three things and more. Number one, how to use professional development to grow your business trust me there's some really good insight into this number two how do you build a team to help you reach your business goals because you do need a team and number three how to avoid major pitfalls as you begin to scale this is a big insight for me guys um i got a ton out of this episode i know you are too enjoy all right ryan thank you so much for joining us on the podcast no thanks for having me aaron i'm looking forward to having a, a chat and seeing uh, how it goes Definitely. So let's let's do this first. I want to give a little bit of background because we're going to talk deeper into like just overall business strategy and everything. But give us a little bit of your background, like where you uh, where you started in the business world, and then what kind of gives you um, I don't know the expertise to kind of talk about these bigger things that we're getting ready to talk about. Yeah, uh, so my my background is really started in sales and marketing um, throughout my whole life. I've held some sort of job that's uh, in either one of those disciplines. And, um, you know, in 2009, uh, I was, um, when the, when the collapse came, um, the industry I was working at the time was the worst hit. So what, well, well, one of the worst hit. So I had a, you know, a challenge at the time to figure out what I was going to do, uh, which ultimately provided an opportunity. Uh, so at that time, my dad was having some struggles in his own business in Florida. And, you know, through our conversations, um, an opportunity arose where he's like, well, look, do you want to take some time, come over here, have a look at my business, see what you think, and uh, let's see if you can help in any way. And initially, I declined. I was like, look, I, you know, my wife and we only had one kid at the time. We're like, ah, it's a bit of, you know, it's a bit of a move back. But then on th further thinking, we thought to ourselves, you know, look, what's the worst that can happen? You know, spend a year, a year and a half, uh, commit to it and see see what we can do. So that's what we did. We moved. And I went into the business and um, the my dad's business was in the non-surgical hair replacement uh, niche of the hair industry. And what he did was um, they provided um, uh, preparation products and adhesives for individuals who wore hair systems and wigs. So I went in, I spent, you know, the first six months just learning about the business. First three months um, of that time was spent uh, learning about the customers and the internal operations. And I had some time on my hands, so I manually started to build a database of every single hair replacement studio in the United States. Um, because look, at the time, the, the the business of my dad was stagnant. It was you know really low six figures. 
probably in the you know 200s to 275,000 a year and it just wasn't going anywhere for 10 years it stayed really at that level um so with some really simple uh, changes we peeled back you know all the branding all the messaging um you know the look of the company and um we started to rebuild uh we did a launch of a new product that they had at their fingertips and within 18 months we tripled revenue um so that kind of pushed me more into the marketing uh sphere of the operations and over time I kind of honed my craft in the industry um, to learn as much as I could about it. Uh, after a year and a half, we left Florida. We moved to Ireland to open uh, a European facility, which ultimately became the global distribution hub and manufacturing hub. And uh, in 2015, then I decided to further my education. I got a master's degree in digital marketing and further applied my studies uh, and my thesis really towards the industry to help me learn more about it yet again. And that kind of helped us put some digital plans in place to um, to grow the business. So over the last decade, we've been able to turn what was a low six-figure business into uh, into an eight-figure business plus. So it's been a it's been a really fun journey. We've learned a lot and we've made tons of mistakes. And hopefully, you know, through the conversation, we can touch base on some of those and I can share a little bit about them. Absolutely. Okay. That was a very good lead way too. That's what I, I was trying to get a little bit more of that story, which is uh, very good uh, and give some context. So uh, anybody who starts a business like that, and like you said, low six figures, and then takes it to multi-million dollar plus per year, there's something to happen. What do you think is that biggest shift that happened? Because I'm sure a lot of people are listening right now. They may be a seven figure business, but a lot of them are probably 500,000 or below. And it's like, how do you get to that next level? What do you, is there one thing that you guys can kind of point at or luck or anything like that, that took you to that next level, that first step really? It's really personal development. Uh, that's really what it comes down to at the core of it, because at the end of the day, you have to be willing to make the changes within yourself to feel comfortable enough to let go of the things which you think people are not capable of doing as well as you or better. And the truth of the matter is, there is all the time, every single time. You know, I find uh, through my own experience that the real bottleneck in a business when you're growing from six figures to seven figures is really the person at the helm running it, you know, the business owner, um, because they, they have certain beliefs and uh, it takes a little bit of work to break down those beliefs and rebuild them in a way that allows you to transform into more of uh, a leader than, than, a, than an operator, you know? What would you say is, uh, so you stepped into that and then helped it grow. What would you say the, the area that you helped your dad the most in, like what was the blind spot that he had um, that he wasn't able to kind of get over that you helped him get over to make those sales happen then? I think it, I, I think it was just taking the 30 years experience that he had in the industry and actually, um, making him see that what you know what the way he was handling his business uh, ultimately in the end was not efficient enough or it was actually holding them back um you know look they he had the wrong people in the wrong places um they weren't really experienced enough and they were making uh they were making the same mistakes over and over again and i think that that was the key thing it was like look your business hasn't moved forward in, in a decade and these are the things you were doing. So let's take a look at these first and seeing how these uh, these actions are having an impact on, on, on the growth of your business. And we realized that, you know, look, a lot of the office operations and sales were sending out these really cheap Word document newsletters um, that really didn't represent the brand and what it stood for uh, well enough. 
Um, there was no investment in, you know, in uh, marketing, uh, especially around design and, and, and branding. And we realized that, you know, they had this powerhouse of a product line, which really, truly did have the ability to change people's lives because of the industry that they were supplying. Um, and uh, people just didn't really know what it did. And education was a huge part of that. So we started to dig deeper. Uh, we heavily invested in, you know, SEO back then um, as a long-term plan. And it really paid off for many years until the industry became more competitive, you know. Um, but, you know, we didn't, I mean, we didn't even run a single ad for the business uh, up until a few years ago. Wow. You know what I mean? So it's uh, a lot of that, a lot, like that eight-figure mark was hit purely on organic uh, word of mouth um, you know, industry, um, industry educated information. And, and that was it. So, uh, it was a huge, it was a, it was a huge shift in mindset required from him. And I suppose being comfortable enough to get out of the way and, and, and let, let people do what they're supposed to do rather than bottleneck it and try to control it and micromanage it. And I think that that was, that made the greatest impact for him. And that was a huge learning curve. That was the hardest part from him because he had been used to controlling everything for so long. But I guess like uh, the very first thing is, and I think you said it in between the lines there, it was like the first thing you need is a really great product. And I think that's what um, it really hit the ground running once you connect a really great, really great product with the right people. Um, I think that's awesome. Yeah, you see, and that's, it's true because, you know, for, for us really where, where the impact happened. So going back to what I was saying earlier, you know, I had manually built a database of all the hair replacement studios in the United States. And at the time, there was only three of us uh, that were really, you know, in, uh, I suppose there was only three of us that were having any sort of input on the operations. So if you think about 5,000, we decided to send out a, a direct mail or postcard front and back, really simple. You know, front was about the products and the, the bullet points uh, features. Back was about industry testimonials from leaders who had a chance to test it. So if you send out 5,000, um, you know, targeted postcards to hair studios and you have three people, chances are you don't really have the resources to manage that if you have an influx of calls. So we split it up into different into three different campaigns. And then before you know it, the phone started ringing off the hook, you know, to, to order one product, you know, just to try it. And then that one product ended up turning into a repeat order of three products or five products and eventually 25 bottles. And before you know it, then, you know, you had, you know, at least a few thousand more accounts ordering the product. Yeah. Uh, and that's where it started to multiply then, because then the demand shifted from the hair salons to uh, individuals who wanted to maintain their hair systems at home. And we then started to have a B2C side of the business, which uh, was ultimately run through distribution, wholesaling and, you know, retailing as well. So uh, it shifted hugely over over 10 years uh, about the uh, of the demands. And I mean, you know, I could go I could speak all day long about, you know, the difference between B2, uh, B2B and B2C and the challenges we we've had, you know, so specifically even around Amazon and stuff like that. Um, it's been a huge learning curve. You know, we we've we've had days where. You know, we've sold, you know, $50,000 worth of products on Amazon. And we've also had days where we might have sold a thousand, you know, and and trying to figure out, you know, what if we can have so many sales one day and we can have such low sales on the other day, why that is, you know. So it's just been a, it's it's always a, it's a it's a never ending journey of, of, of learning. 
with with all of that what do you what's been like the the one thing that's kind of worked over time right so like you said seo basically drove the business so it was like the longevity piece and then you had to start running ads is there anything that you guys have continued to do to like i i think that i guess the part that i'm trying to get to is that you guys have had a lot of repeat customers it seems like as well which is for any type of business for most part anyway you have to have that repeat customer so is there anything marketing wise that you guys put in place or that's been over the longevity of the business that's gotten those people to come back and purchase again? Yeah, I think it's the constant communication. So, you know, one of the strategies that we, that we were struggling with at the beginning was, you know, we were relying from a B2C side of the business on third party platforms to sell our product, you know, let's say eBay or Amazon. And really the, the, the tough part is, is that none of those platforms, when you receive an order, will allow you to have the customer's email address. So we had to think a little bit about outside the box. And it's like, we know individuals who are using this product have a need to use this product ongoing, you know, cause they're always changing their, their wig or the color of their hair on a daily basis or, you know, a weekly basis. And then you have individuals who would wear it for a few weeks at a time. So how do, how do we get, you know, direct contact with them? So what we started to do is we we, we set up, uh, you know, through Zapier, we we set up a, um, a Zap, which pulled the order data from our Amazon account, and we loaded it into a um, into a, an Excel sheet, a Google Excel sheet, and we did a, another huge direct mail campaign of like 50,000. And what we started to do is we ran a, a self-liquidating offer for our product. We offered a free product if they covered the shipping, and we started to then build our customer database. Uh, we did that for about four months and uh, that completely transformed our direct path of communication to, to our customers because we were then able to change, you know, a platform that we had really no control over to something where we could control what we're able to send them. So um, it was about trying to navigate a different space and, and figure out different ways that we can be clever enough to make sure that we could get the information into the customer's hands because, we, you know, at the beginning, we really had no control and we were exposed because one day, like if Amazon, which they have done in the past, turns around and say, well, listen, we're removing your product from the store due to whatever it may be, safety concerns or complaints, um, you know, you're, you're left with nothing, you know, so you have to protect yourself from that. As far as your guys' distribution right now, are your your part of the business model? Is it mostly B two B or is it B two C? Um, and then which is yeah, which when I don't know people who are aspiring to hit that first seven figure mark is one route easier than the other, um, or would you suggest a specific route for for that marketing? Um, for us, it's B two B. Ninety five percent of our business is B two B. We do most of our business through our distribution channels and our wholesale channels. Um, if you were to ask me what would be the better way to go, um, I think, you know, from a protection perspective of making sure that you're, you're the, you know, the carpet can't be pulled out from under you if the distributor decides to stop carrying your product, um, B2C or, or focusing on building your database of customers is a, is a huge, huge uh, part of it. But I also think in terms of moving volume, you, you, you need the distribution. And the only way to do that is to create the demand. So. Uh, depending on the product, um, my, my advice would be, you know, just keep the direct to consumer part of the strategy in your, uh, you know, in, in, in scope at all times, because at the end of the day, why is a distributor going to want to carry your product if nobody knows about it? 
you know, uh, so you have to really just make sure you're, you're keeping a good balance. For us, it made sense, you know, on a B2B perspective to really go all in because look, we manufacture our own products and, uh, you know, look, that's just our bread and butter. That's what we do. And that's how we've always done it. So um, I, I would just say like in today's day and age, you know, having that B2C side of things is vitally important though, because at the end of the day, if nobody knows about your product, why is somebody going to buy it from you to carry it on their shelves, you know? Hey, so owners, are you ready to grow and scale your online business predictably and profitably? We've created a free 15 minute training that will walk you through the five key areas every online store needs to achieve financial success. You can grab the free training by going to optimizestoreownercom forward slash ecom dash training or clicking the link below in the podcast description. Again, that is optimizedstoreownercom forward slash ecom dash training. I'm interested in the uh, that transition to the international uh, side of the of the business. I guess, and I guess moving some of the operations. And I think you said manufacturing as well uh, overseas. Uh, I guess just talk to us about that process and just the the, the yeah the thought process of, of going from U.S. based business to more international. Yeah. So when back in 2009, 2010, when you know we launched this new product, Ghost onto the marketplace. Um, you know, we, we realized we validated the product, you know, when people started to use it and it performed and it changed the way people looked at, you know, cosmetic bonding adhesives. So we realized we had a, we had a product that had the potential to go internationally because look, hair loss is experienced all over the world and there's hair, hair replacement studios all over the world. So, uh, opening up in Ireland was a great uh, choice for us at the time after doing our research. Uh, and again, it was just opportunity aligned, you know, like I, you know, my mother's Irish, you know, so, um, you know, it was just the natural best place to, to open up a, a location, uh, corporation tax is 12 and a half percent. Um, you know, so, I mean, even if you look at from a tax perspective, uh, you, you, you're saving, you're, you know, you're saving between 15 and 20% tax, uh, which can ultimately be reinvested back into the, uh, into the company to help it grow. So, um, um, uh, when we opened here in Ireland, uh, it was, it was a slow burn. Um, you know, we, we took the same principles and methodologies that we had learned growing the business in the States as quickly as we did. Uh, and we applied those same things here and it just fell flat in its face, like horrible, like to the point where we're like, okay, we're in a bit of trouble here. We invested X amount of money and we're getting absolutely nothing. But what I realized then is part of the personal development side and the growth side is you have to figure that out and you have to be willing to look at the things that, you know, are working and are not working and how you think about those things. So what I realized in the end, about six months after, you know, we were struggling, we started to build relationships because the one thing I realized is that cultures are different in different countries and the way people do business is different and they expect different things. Um, and I started to figure that out. So one of the, the two first countries that we kind of opened up uh, after about six months was the UK and Germany. Uh, so we got a really good distributor in Germany, likewise in the UK, and we started to build uh, the brand there. And ultimately that ended up you know, kind of spreading throughout Europe. Because what happens is, especially in, in, in industry, is that when your product becomes popular and solves a problem, an ongoing problem that's uh, been there for years, uh, people do stay connected and they do talk about it. Naturally, then with the rise of social media, um, we started to get a lot of, you know, just, you know, feedback online. And then people started posting about the product and naturally that caught wind. 
and uh, it just started to roll out. Um, but just as quickly as you know, popularity started to gain throughout Europe and then the rest of the world. Um, you know, the Chinese come with their counterfeits and they start to knock off the brand. And uh, we start to get some damage, uh, brand reputation damage, because they're putting subpar products in uh, in in a bottle that looks identical to ours with our label, and they're they're selling it through our distribution channels. Before we know it, we're you know we have a whole other challenge on our hands. Um, so that shift from saying being a U.S. based company to being more of an international based company um, was co- it was just a natural process, but. I suppose at the end of the day, you you really have to believe that it's possible because if there's a challenge in one place, there's there's always going to be a challenge in another place. You know, especially in our industry, the challenges seem to be quite um, similar all around. So uh, if you have a product that that provides the solution, then um, you can just really make a plan to roll out over five years uh, to as many countries as you want. But it is, I think, it is vitally important because um, of in today's day and age, you know, if if there's any sort of product that 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 becomes popular, there's always people at the back trying to figure out how they can capitalize on that too. So, um, IP protection is a is a massive part of the strategy. Speaking of uh, opportunities to to grow or um, opportunities to kind of move in the right direction, what would you say is like the the biggest area of uh, not necessarily a failure, I would say, but like a biggest area like, okay, if we did that again, I would do it differently. Like as you're growing, what are some of the kind of the mistakes that people are making or could be making? Uh, they just maybe have not gotten to that stage yet um, to kind of get over those hurdles. Uh, I think IP protection is a huge part of it. And uh, if I were to go back to the beginning and, and, you know, they would be in the top, at least in the top two, um, because if you don't do it right at the beginning, uh, it would, you will pay for it in, you know, in the long term. I mean, we IP alone, um, in sales, like, I mean, in 2022 cost us estimated about $5 million in lost sales, um, just, just in 2022 alone, which is huge. Um, and then the cost of fighting that on top of it, you know, um, but, uh, the second part of it is, uh, for, for me looking back, making sure you get the right people on the team and, you know, don't be afraid to, uh, to hire and, and fire fast because the longer you keep somebody that's, you know, not in the right position, the more it's going to hurt the company and the more it's going to hurt the culture as well. Um, at the end of the day, just because somebody isn't right for the position they're in, in your company, doesn't mean they don't have a position somewhere else that they'd be well more suited. And I've learned that we've had some really experienced people in, in positions in the company and they just weren't the right fit. Um, and they were amazing at what they did, but, uh, it just didn't work out. So, um, I, I think, you know, don't be too disheartened by, you know, by, by having to, you know, hire and then fire quickly because, you know, that's just part of business. To that point, I'm always curious, like uh, as from the business owner perspective, like and as you're as you're hiring those, like you mentioned, the initial hires are really important, especially for the culture. At what point do you know or like did you get like a kind of a gut feeling of like, all right, this person on paper, you know, rock star implementation, just not so much. Like, is there is there something that you were kind of like weighing a checks and balances on to to make that decision or how did that process go go for you? At the beginning, it was all about paper and it was all about what was on paper. And what I realized quite quickly after making a few bad decisions was uh, was that the paper in most cases is not as powerful as the ability for the person to be coached. 
And you have to have somebody who they might not have all the experience you want, but they have to be open enough to change. Um, and, you know, for us, I mean, I remember our, you know, our first key hire, even in Ireland, um, and I had the interview and it came down to uh, between himself and another guy. And the other guy was really technical, uh, technology savvy. Um, there was there was no problem with, you know, with communication or anything like that. And uh, and then I and on the other side, I had someone with a huge amount of uh, people experience uh, who had a very open mind and his demeanor was very uh, relaxed but authoritative and uh, I went with I went with that person and he's one of the key people in our businesses today so I think for me I actually look for now um, how how coachable are they and and how responsive are they how's their communication um, you know how do they respond to you in emails how do they respond to you by phone um, you know that to me is key over everything because at the end of the day uh, you're trying to nurture and help somebody uh, become the person to lead the culture that you want in your company. And if that person is not open enough uh, or empathetic enough to understand that, then it's going to be very hard to maintain or manage that that in your business ongoing. Because at some point, as the company grows, you as the business owner uh, or the CEO or whoever has to remove yourself from the daily operations. And you want to make sure that what you want embedded in your company is there. Yeah, that's good. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's kind of reflecting like, to your point of like, how do we how do we grow these businesses? How do we get this to the next level? And it's the people, but then it's also, I'm just kind of connecting the dots of what you've said here, right? The the professional development to get to that next level, to be able to hire the right people. And once you can hire the right people, that's when everything kind of like, you know, it's a cog on a wheel and just keeps getting bigger and bigger. It becomes a flywheel at that point. Um, what are you doing currently right now to make sure that you don't stagnate in the business, right? That, you know, if you've gotten to the certain level of success, it's probably easy to be like, Hey, I got a wife and kids and I want to, you know, step back a little bit and just let the business run on its own. And maybe it is, I don't know. But like, what are you doing currently to, to develop yourself or to go to that next echelon, the next level um, of a business? You know, it, it, it's a great question because, um, you know, if you would have asked me this a couple of years ago, my, my thing was to be just to drive it on harder. But what I've actually learned is that um, I'm starting to go back to my grassroots, uh, you know, through through many conversations with my own wife is like it was it was all about business for 10 years and about growing the company. And uh, now what I'm finding is that if I don't give myself the space to be creative and think of the, you know, the, the new solutions or what direction that the company needs to go, um, that's where it becomes, you know, stagnant. Uh, we have a product in, in the hair replacement industry, which, is, you know, has been the industry leader for many years. And now there's more competition in the marketplace. So, yeah, naturally, over a period of time, some of that, you know, some of that market share diminishes. So, um, you know, I went back to doing what I what I love doing best. And, you know, I, I am spending a little bit more time with the kids and family. I've gone back to even playing sport. I love basketball. I, I grew up on it. Um, I've gone back to giving myself some of that freedom and that's that space to think um, or just to release some of that space in my brain that it's not all tied up in business. And what I'm finding is that it's given me a lot more room now to uh, to direct the company rather than be a part of how it grows. 
So uh, the next step for us is, you know, we're expanding our catalog. Uh, by the end of this year, we'll have 80 new products. And by the end of 2024, we'll probably have another 150 products added to that catalog. Uh, so for us, it's more about having the solutions for businesses off the shelf that are already tried and tested and ready to go. So we can take a custom formula project that typically takes 12 to 16 weeks and pull it down to four weeks so we can get them into the market as quickly as possible. And I think from my experience, that's what differs us from the rest of the contract manufacturers on the planet. Um, so that that's where that's where we're at and, and, and that's where my headspace is. And without the ability to kind of just free some time up for myself. Um, it'd be very difficult to see, to see that part of, of where we need to go. And it's, it's really simple. And that is my belief at its core. I, I believe the simplest solutions create the biggest impacts. Um, and sometimes we as humans tend to overcomplicate things. So I try not to do that so much anymore and, and uh, listen to my wife more. <laughs> there you go. We'll share the episode with all of the all of the wives in the group. I'm yeah, sure yeah, yeah. <laughs> they will. That's the part they will gravitate towards. Yeah. I mean, it's abs- I think it's absolutely true, though, right? It's a it's a voice of reasoning for everything, right? The blind spots they are uh, definitely helpful, or the you know, if it's a wife listening, the husband or whatever else, it's just yeah. the the spouse. So uh, you're kind of talking about that space how that giving yourself that space how do you uh this is kind of more of a a bigger picture thing like right you're running teams from you know different time zones across the country how do you continue right to go from i have gotten the professional development i've hired the right people put them in the right spots give them the freedom to to get the work done that they need to but also like still make a culture and still you know build a team when you're in ireland you may have people in the u.s and you know how does that all kind of mix together and and work really i so this is a part of the personal journey for, for for someone you know uh, I suppose leading a business like I, I like I work in the business with my two brothers. My two brothers are, are now owners, you know, of the business with myself. And you know, while they would handle a lot of the operations through the president role and chief operating officer, what I find is that connecting with the team is is great, and you know, it, it gives a chance to stay connected because I, I look, I love proximity. I, you know, I love being in the office. I love, you know, uh, getting into the nitty gritty of listening to what's going on on a daily basis through meetings and, and actually allowing that to drive, you know, my thoughts. Um, but I do think at some point as, as the, as a leader or, or the creative direction of a business, um, people are always from the outside looking in and you're, and you don't realize that you don't, there's no aha moment where you realize you're a leader through what you either do on social media or the messages that you put out uh, publicly through the industry. Um, you don't really truly have this moment where you realize, okay, look, I, I, I know people are looking at me as a leader. So um, I'm really focused now on the information I'm putting outwards and because I know everyone's watching it. And uh, I think that's part of the transformational process where you can retain the culture in your company because what people are seeing on a daily basis or a weekly basis inside your company is matching exactly the thing that you're putting out, uh, you know, online or in public. So I think that's as, as a person on a journey of personal development, always make sure you're staying true to your beliefs. Don't just say something because you think it's what somebody wants to hear. At the end of the day, no one's good. Like not everyone is going to agree with you, but that's okay. But you led the journey of your company and its growth and people are connecting with it for a reason. So don't lose sight of that. And that that's that that's what I would say is one of the key aspects, in my opinion, on retaining culture, even though you might not be involved in the business on both sides on a daily basis. 
one last thing I wanted to kind of touch about, right, or touch on, right, whether somebody's listening to this in January of 2023 or, or March of 2026 doesn't matter. We are in January when we're recording this, and it's and typically a time where people reset and move forward with goals or anything like that. What what's your process for for setting goals for yourself personally and for your business? And I'm yeah, I'm just curious to kind of the insight of that. What have you tried in the last 10 years that's worked and hasn't worked? And yeah, what things do you have in place to make sure that you achieve your goals and continue to kind of move towards those? I, I think just continuing to work on, you know, my communication. Um, it's, it you know, that that's one of the key things for me. Uh, another thing is just making sure I retain, you know, an empathetic approach to every single situation that I come across, no matter how hard line, you know, a decision is uh, that needs to be made the end of the day, it's always great to put yourself in the shoes of somebody else because it allows you to maybe understand, um, you know, where the pitfalls in the situation might be or where somebody else is coming from. Because at the end of the day, there's always two sides to a thought, whether it's right or wrong. Um, Setting goals for myself is really just about, I know where I want to be and I know where I want this company to be in, you know, in 10 years time. And I will just keep, you know, doing things day by day rather than month by month or quarter by quarter. Um, I just try to improve it on a daily basis and just do the things that I know will contribute to um, to helping people be uh, the people they want to be uh, to improve their careers and their lives. And uh, to me, that once I do that, I, I've, I've got most of it won in my eyes because, you know, you're allowing people then to explore the parts of themselves that they didn't think was truly possible. Like I I, I've had some of our team members come up, you know, to me over the over the last couple of years and just, you know, say, you know, I, I didn't think I'd be able to be part of a company that that's been able to grow and contribute the way, uh, you know, that that we have, you know, and and you know, we have, for example, uh, somebody who came into the company and started out on the warehouse floor. They're now training as a junior chemist uh, in college. You know what I mean? So, uh, getting giving people the opportunity to be the best version of who they can be. Uh, it is for me that 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 that's part of how this this company is going to get where I want it to go in 10 years. And uh, I don't overcomplicate it. I just take it day by day. Awesome. Ryan, thank you so much. This is extremely valuable. Where is the best way for people to find out more about you, find out about companies? What's what's the where should we send people? Um, our website is prohairlabs.com. Um, we're on all social media, Facebook, TikTok, uh, Instagram. Uh, my main hangout is LinkedIn. So um, like I always say, it, you know, if anyone ever had any questions or they wanted to connect, that's that's the, the channel to do it on. Uh, yeah, so that, that's it. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. And like I said, we really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. It was great ta- uh, chatting to you. That's a wrap. Before you go, screenshot this episode and tag us on Instagram stories at BitBraining and let us know what you thought about this episode. And next, make sure to leave us an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts. This helps us reach more people and continue to improve the podcast for you. All right, guys, have a great day and we'll talk to you next week.